Those of you who are visiting or have been visiting for the last couple of weeks and didn't see me, my name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors of Trinity Cambridge Church, and we were away the last couple of weeks in Seattle visiting my parents. But it's our joy to be back with you to worship together and to preach God's word to you. Uh, We've been in a series in the book of Acts, but we're actually not going to go back to Acts just yet. Uh, We we had Pastor Dan preach on Psalm 34, and I'm going to preach on Psalm 46 uh, today uh, before we go go back to the book of Acts next week. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 46. should be toward the end of the first half of your Bibles, before Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Let me pray for the reading and preaching of God's Word. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves and incline our ears toward your word. Many here are weary. We all have our own share share of troubles in this life. And you alone are our anchor our shelter. The one person, the only thing in our lives that never changes. And so we look to you and to your unchanging word. Comfort us. Build our faith. that we might take refuge in you, the Lord of hosts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dies. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars seize to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. 
I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. In Wittenberg, Germany, the birthplace of the Reformation, there's a church that is colloquially known as the Castle Church. And that's the church that Martin Luther is said to have posted his 95 theses, theses sparking the debate uh, and exposing some of the abuses of the Roman Catholic Church and that eventually led to the Protestant Reformation. And if you look at the top, uh, near the top of the, the tower at that castle church, uh, there is a sentence in German which is translated to this, a mighty fortress is our God. That's the opening line of Martin Luther's famous hymn, his most famous hymn, often called the Battle Hymn of the Reformation. And that hymn is based on Psalm 46. And church historians record that Martin Luther, uh, when he was excommunicated by Pope Leo X and condemned as an outlaw by the Roman Emperor Charles V, and when he was surrounded by threats, mortal threats, on all sides. He would frequently turn to his fellow reformer and friend, Philip Melanchthon, and say this, let's sing the 46th and let the devil do his worst. None of us have the two of the world's most powerful authorities and institutions after us at the moment, but we, or maybe you do, I don't know, uh, but we, we, we all experience our, our own share of troubles in this life. But Psalm 46 teaches us that we can rest securely in the midst of any trouble because God is our immovable fortress. That's the main point of this psalm. First, we're going to look at God's protection from verses 1 to 3, then God's presence in verses 4 to 7, and God's pronouncement in verses 8 to 11. The verse 1 begins, it's kind of a thesis statement of this psalm. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is our refuge. He's our shelter. What does that mean? When, To give you a picture of it, when bombs are falling and bullets are showering overhead and a soldier runs into a bunker for shelter, and there finds immediate relief and rest. That's a refuge. When you're caught in a storm with pouring rain and howling winds, and then you run in quickly into a house and shut the door behind you and breathe a sigh of relief, that's a refuge. When a baby is, is surrounded by strangers and their unfamiliar faces and is feeling stranger danger and is crying out of fear, she digs herself into her father's arms and then calms down immediately, finding safety and peace. That's a refuge. God is our refuge. He's also our strength. God doesn't merely protect us from external threats. He also empowers us when we ourselves are weak. When our legs are buckling under us and we can't stand any longer, God upholds us and gives us strength. And in this way, God is a very present help in trouble. 
That phrase might be translated more literally as a help in need that is surely found. God's not a, God is not a friend who deserts us when we are most vulnerable and weak, when we are at our lowest. God is someone who is found when you are in need. When you are reeling from an abusive relationship, when your spouse has cheated on you, when your work is so physically and emotionally draining that you want to call it quits, when your health is deteriorated and then you are despairing, when your studies are so hard that you just want to give it up, when you are filled with fear and anxiety because of spreading diseases or because of some other diagnosis, when your children are rebellious and disobedient and they make you want to cry, when you've fallen on hard times financially and you worry how you're going to provide for yourself or pay your next rent, when you want to give up on life altogether, God is not aloof. He's not far off. He is of help in need that is surely found. He's a very present help in trouble. Don't ever think that God is indifferent to your suffering or that He is unapproachable. He is nearby and He will surely be found. And He doesn't merely send someone else to help you. He says He Himself is our very present help in trouble. God is with us because He is for us. Therefore, verses 2 to 3 continue, We will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. Because God is our strength and refuge, because God is our very present help, He says, we will not fear. Then the psalmist goes on to describe a pair of cataclysmic events. He says, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. So he's describing a a huge earthquake where even mountains seem to crumble and fall into the sea. And when earthquakes of such magnitude happen near the sea, tsunamis follow. So the psalmist continues, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Mountains. As you know, uh, I just returned from visiting my parents in, in Seattle with my family, and, and we do this once a year. And each time we visit, we find that so many things have changed, uh, and I can't really find my, find my way around town anymore. Um, the storefronts have changed, all these new stores that I've never seen before. The roads themselves have changed. Uh, even right by our house, uh, it used to be next to a beautiful forest, and now it's been raised, and it's a construction site. Uh, I don't know why that makes the value of the price go up. I feel like it should go down, but uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it, everything looks different. It doesn't even look, it's hardly recognizable. Uh, and, but every time I go back to Seattle, there's still one thing that never changes. And as I drive out of the airport or are driven out of the airport, 
to the house, you see Mount Rainier standing in the backdrop of the city, always the same, never moves an inch. That's what mountains are like. Mountain is a symbol of immovability, of stability, a changelessness, a massive, immovable entity. That's what mountains represent in literature and throughout scripture. And so it's not surprising that the psalmist uses that and turns it on his head when he tells us that the mountains are being moved into the heart of the sea and mountains are trembling. In other words, seemingly immovable things are moving. Unchangeable things are changing. What are the things in your life that you thought would never change? That you thought, I can always count on this. I can always count on this person. This person will always be there. This thing will never change. Maybe you thought you could always depend on money. Maybe your looks, the government, your work, power, authority, health, your best friend, even your family members. This psalm is reminding us that all of those things can be shaken and moved. The world as you know it, the entire world could shake and tremble. But God's people need not fear even in those circumstances, because it says in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The psalmist chose the most extreme scenario to assure us that no matter how deep your trouble is, no matter how desperate your need is, we can rest securely because God is our immovable fortress. That's God's protection And then having reminded us of of that, the psalmist turns to God's presence in verses 4 to 7. Follow along with me as I read it. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Notice the contrast of imagery between verse 3 and verse 4. In verse 3, the images of a destructive raging sea, and then in verse 4, the images of a nourishing and refreshing, a tranquil river. One of the things that ancient people fear the most out of everything in life was the sea, the oceans, the crashing waves, the howling winds. You couldn't predict the ocean. You couldn't tame the ocean. You couldn't cross the ocean. You couldn't see the ocean's end and you couldn't see the ocean's bottom. So people fear the ocean. But for ancient people, rivers were were cherished natural commodities. You could drink the fresh, fresh water. You could irrigate it for farming, you could wash in it, fish in it, 
This is why most of the world's civilizations developed around rivers. And you can see this contrast between the sea and rivers throughout Scripture. In Luke 21, verse 25, I think I have some of these to project on there. Jesus says that in the end times, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. In Revelation 21, verse 1, when God brings about a new heaven and a new earth, it says that the sea was no more. However, from Genesis to Revelation, God's, God's dwelling place is marked by a flowing river. In Genesis 2, verse 10, it says, A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The prophetic vision of Ezekiel 47, verses 1 to 2, says that in the temple of God in the last days, behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, a river that I cannot cross. And finally, in Revelation 22, verses 1 to 2, it says that in the new heaven and the earth, the river of the water of life, bright bright as crystal, flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Because God alone rules these unruly seas, in God's dwelling places, where there is perfect peace and order, there is no sea, a symbol of chaos. However, a river which represents life and peace always flows from God's temple. This contrast, which we find here in our text, is a reminder that when God is with us, He can calm even the stormy seas of our own hearts and lives. God is the one who brings order and peace. And this is the reason why verse 5 says of the city of God, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Because God is in the city, in the midst of the city, even when mountains themselves are being moved and shaken, the city of God stands immovable. But why does this verse say that God will help her when morning dawns? Why can't he help them in the evening? The phrase, when morning dawns, is an allusion to the book of Exodus. In Exodus 14, when Moses and the Israelites are crossing the Red Sea that God has parted, the Egyptians pursue and go in after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his soldiers. And so the Israelites are cornered. They can't turn back anymore because of the Egyptian army. They can't turn to the side because of the wall of water. Only thing they can do is go forward, and even then it's hopeless because they know they can outrun chariots and horses. So it's in that moment of desperation, it says in verse 27 of Exodus 14, when the morning appeared, that's when God with the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, routes the Egyptian army, throws them into a panic. And it says later, when the morning appeared, and and, and as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. When morning appeared, it's this exact same phrase that's translated in Psalm 46, verse 5, is when morning dawns. 
the greatest deliverance in Israel's history up to that point was wrought by God when morning dawned. And so the psalmist uses that to tell us, to assure us of God's promise of deliverance. That means no matter how dark and long your night might be, God promises that morning always dawns. No matter how long your night is, the sun always comes up. In His perfect timing, God will help you when morning dawns. Some of you have experienced or are presently going through very dark nights. And it has been many nights, long nights. But when you feel hemmed in from all sides, when you feel trapped, when you feel powerless and hopeless, persevere in your faith in the promises of God. Because when morning dawns, help will come from the Lord. He will surely come to your aid. You will find that God is not distant, but that He is a very present help. And it's that for that reason we shall not be moved. Verse 6 continues the thought of verse 5. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The word totter here in kingdoms totter is the same Hebrew word that has been translated as move in verse 2 and verse 5. So the psalmist is setting up a contrast. When the kingdoms are moved and shaken by wars and rumors of wars, when the mountains are moved by natural disasters, threaten our existence, and even then, the city of God shall not be moved because God is in the midst of her. God is our immovable fortress. In Him, there is no change, no variation or shadow due to change. Even when the immovable mountains of your life collapse, even when the seemingly invincible kingdoms in this world bow their knees before a pandemic or war, when the world's news is overwhelming, when society is in disarray, when common morality is degenerating, when we don't know where our world is headed, when our own lives seem topsy-turvy and spiraling out of control, God is not, I assure you, pacing back and forth, hyperventilating, racked with anxiety. God is securely, immovably seated on his throne, sovereignly ruling the world with total control. There's another wordplay in verse 3 and 6. It says that the waters roar and the nations rage. Those are two same words again. Roar, rage. It's noisy. There's a lot of chatter. And even in our noisy circumstances, God is not panicking or alarmed. He has no need to shout back. All he does, verse 6, he utters his voice. Just makes a sound. The earth melts. Can you imagine that kind of power? The nations are raging, the waters are roaring, and God just speaks a word. Melts the earth. 
no matter how how much the the noise, the cacophony of it is dominating your life right now, you can rest securely in our immovable fortress. You can be attentive to His voice and His word instead. Because as verse 7 says, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of hosts literally means the Lord of the armies. It's telling us that our God is a warrior God. He is the Lord of the armies. And His armies are all around you. Remember that story in 2 Kings chapter 6? The king of Aram plots to kill Elijah the prophet. He's so scared of this lonely prophet. He dwells with one servant. But he sends an entire army because he's afraid. The army surrounds them and the servant is, is scared out of his mind in the morning when he sees them. And so he says in verse 15, 2 Kings 6, Now when the attendant of the men of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to Elijah, Alas, my master, what shall we do? This is a situation that we often find ourselves in. We feel outnumbered, overwhelmed, outmatched. But then Elijah responds to the servant in this way. He says, Do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Opening the eyes of faith so that we see the armies of God arrayed all around us. That's what Psalm 46 is intended to do for us. It's trying to open up our eyes of faith so that we see the Lord of the armies backing us up. No matter how many problems you have in your life, how many enemies you have in your life, remember that those who are with you are greater than those who are with them because the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is our God, it says. Just that one possessive pronoun communicates so many wonderful things, doesn't it? God of Jacob is our fortress. The God of Adam who created the heavens and the earth the God of Moses who parted the Red Sea, the God of Elijah who raised up the dead, the God of David who conquered kingdoms, that God is your God. He is the warrior, the king, the Lord of hosts. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He is like an unassailable fortress perched atop this impregnable mountain. We are safe with Him. We can rest securely in the midst of any trouble because God is our immovable fortress. 
God's our protection, his presence is with us. And in the concluding section of the psalm, we find God's authoritative and final pronouncement. He commands us. Read verses 8 to 10 along with me. It says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God issues two commands here for us. In verse 8, he says, Come, behold the works of the Lord. That's the first command. And then he gives the second command in verse 10. He says, Be still and know that I am God. So, Come and behold, be still and know. These are the two commands that God gives us here. If we desire rest in the midst of our troubles, we must behold the works of the Lord. We must see and remember God's redemptive acts, His numerous deliverances of His people, how faithful He has been to us. Do you see that? Do you see how God has saved you in the past? How he has delivered you time and time again. How he has been with you through all the years and has never left your side. Do you see that? The Lord of hosts gave victory to and brought rest to Israel time and time again throughout the scripture. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And eventually, he will bring all wars to an end. Isaiah chapter 2 prophesies that in the latter days, the Lord will establish his, his rule and judgment in such a way among all the nations that the nations shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Revelation 19 also prophesies of those last days. I love this picture that we see of our Lord Jesus here. He's called faithful and true. That's his name. He's called the Word of God. And he will return this dazzling picture riding on a white horse to judge and make war in righteousness. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, will follow him on white horses. From his mouth will come a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the glorious warrior king that we serve. And when he comes, he says, the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies will gather to make war against him. But he will defeat them. 
and throw the beast and the false prophet who had deceived the nations into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And he will, says in Revelation 20, seize the dragon. That dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, who deceived the nations, made many perish, who accused us, the saints of the Lord, day and night, and never let us rest. Our Lord Jesus, our warrior king, will seize and throw into the lake of fire and sulfur forever and ever. In this way, our warrior king will subdue all of his enemies and establish perfect, eternal peace. And in doing so, he says, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. I hope you look forward to that as I do. We as God's people have already seen the end of this war because Christ has already won the decisive battle that guarantees the outcome through his death and resurrection. Jesus has already bound the strong man, Satan, and he's now plundering his house, and that is why we see from all over the nations people coming to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, 13-15 summarize what God accomplished in Jesus Christ on the cross this way. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Due to our sins, due to our trespasses, we had a record of debt that stood against us. And because of that debt and its legal demands, the spiritual authorities, the evil powers, had sway over us, had authority, power over us. But Jesus, in dying for our sins on the cross, nailed that debt to the cross, canceled it, Set it aside so that no, none of these powers can have hold sway over us anymore. So that we are free. We are redeemed as God's people. He disarmed them. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? He took away all their weapons. The intense spiritual warfare that we are currently engaged in the battles, that, battles for holiness, the battles for obedience and faith that we fight every single day as Christians with the course of this world, with the flesh and with the prince of the power of the air, this battle that we fight, it has already been won by Jesus on the cross. And he will soon, very soon, bring this victory into full fruition. If you want to find rest in God in the midst of your troubles, you must come and behold the works of the Lord. 
You have to see. You have to remember what God has done for you. When you behold the cross, when you behold Jesus, you see the Lord's sovereignty, you see the Lord's mercy, you see the Lord's love. And no matter how much your life might seem like a failure and a defeat, when you look at the cross, you can see your victory and triumph in Jesus Christ. If you yearn for this rest of God, come and behold the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the only way we can also obey that second command in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. As human beings, we must be still and know that only God is God. Be still. It's a very strong command. Joshua chapter 10 verse 6, when when the men of Gibeon sent for help to Joshua because they had a covenant, an alliance, they say this to him, do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. The word relax here, which means, here it means to let go, release. That's the same word that's translated here as be still. Similarly, in Judges 11, verse 37, when Jephthah's daughter says to Jephthah, let this thing be done for me, leave me alone for two months. That phrase, leave me alone, is a translation of the same Hebrew word that is rendered here, be still. That means, that command means to cease and release. What are the things in your life that you are holding on to tightly, anxiously? Things that you are unwilling to release, to entrust. Your future, your children, your vocation, career, your relationships. Be still means to relax our hands and let go of our clenched fists, to leave it be. God commands us to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, casting all of our anxieties on Him. Is your heart lifted up and your eyes raised too high so that you are occupying yourself with things that are too high and wonderful? Things that are above your pay grade? Things that are outside of your control? Or have you calmed and quieted your soul like a weaned child with its mother, trusting in and relying on the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. Only those who know that the Lord is God can trust Him and be still. Only those who know that God's reign extends to the end of the earth can be still. You may have noticed that this psalm repeatedly mentions the earth, 
Verse 2 says, though the earth gives way, and even in, so this is earth-shattering upheaval. And in the midst of that, it says in verse 6, God utters his voice, the earth melts. Verse 9, he makes war cease to the end of the earth. It's because God rules over all of the earth, even in the midst of earth-shaking events, God pronounces in verse 10, authoritatively, I will be exalted in the earth. The end of all human history, the end, the purpose, the goal of all of our lives is the exaltation of God. Isn't that our deepest longing as Christians? To see God lifted high, glorified. If we live for that, then you will not be disappointed because God will be exalted in the earth. And because we have already seen that finish line, and because we have already seen the end of human history, we can run with even greater endurance and strength while trusting in God and resting in Him. Psalm 45 concludes with this refrain in verse 11, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This chorus appears twice in this song, verse 7, verse 11. And he tells us that God is with us. That phrase, with us, in Hebrew is Imanu, which is where we get the title for our Lord Jesus, Emmanuel. It means God with us. If you have a hard time today believing that God really is your refuge and strength, a very present help in time of need, I urge you to look at the Lord Jesus, Emmanuel, who was born as a baby, a human baby, 2,000 years ago. He came in order to be with us, in order to be tempted and to suffer as we are, and through his death to destroy the devil who has the power of death. In order to do this, Jesus partook of our own flesh and blood, And because he has done this, he is merciful and compassionate. He knows our weaknesses. He's intimately familiar with it. Emmanuel, God with us. We can rest securely in the midst of any trouble because God is our immovable fortress. The second verse of Martin Luther's hymn that I mentioned at the beginning, The Mighty Fortress is Our God, goes like this. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord of hosts, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would breathe breathe fresh faith into us so that we might make you, the Lord of hosts, our refuge. That in the midst of all our troubles, we might cease, release, be still, and know that you are God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.